1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at this morning ingredients for blessing. Ingredients for blessing. Uh, the, 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 the verse that talks about blessing is, is the second verse we're looking at today, and it says, at the end of verse 9, it says, for you were called, Christians, you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a what? A blessing. And so we are called for this very purpose of being people that live under the blessing of God, the blessing of God. And God wants to bless you. Do you know that? God wants to bless your life. We're even told in the Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who puts his trust in him. We're told by Jesus, if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will add all things on us. He will bless us. I love Psalm 1 1 through through 3. It says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand on the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But here it is. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And it will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. See the blessing there? God wants to bless our lives. But what we're going to learn today is there's certain things, ingredients, that need to be in place in our lives if we're going to live in, in, with that blessing upon our lives. We're going to see there's a lifestyle that's involved of obedience to these ingredients we're looking at this morning. And if we live according to these ingredients, we're going to see in the Word, we will live a blessed life. But it's a choice. Every day it's a choice. Are we going to live under God's blessing or are we going to live under the curse of sin? Remember Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 30? He, he, he put before the people of God. He said, you've got a choice. You've got a choice of life or death blessing or cursing and here's what he said choose life simple choice then every day we wake up what are we going to choose are we going to choose to live for god or are we going to live for the flesh are we going to choose to live for the world the flesh and the devil or, or are we going to choose to live by the spirit of god and for the spirit of god and for the kingdom of god if we live seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness as i've already said we will be blessed We'll live a life that God will take care of us and he'll add all things onto us. And so I'm going to give you some ingredients this morning on living in, the, in these ingredients. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I learned these things experientially. What do I mean by that? I learned that as I was obedient to God and as I walked according to the, his commandments and what he was teaching me in the word, I, I, I just noticed life was good. Life was blessed. His hand was upon me. You could almost sense his favor. I remember just experimentally learning that as a new Christian. If I walked in obedience, there was blessing. If I walked in disobedience, there was discipline. And I learned very quick as a young Christian, life is a lot better when you choose life and choose obedience. Because blessing follows obedience. We'll see that this morning. So let's look at some of these ingredients that we need to have in place in our lives if we're going to live a blessed life. The first thing we're going to see this morning is we need to maintain a Christ-like spirit if we're going to live under God's blessing. We need to live by the Spirit of God and have a Christ-like spirit. What is a Christ-like spirit? Let's go to our scriptures. Starting at, we left off at verse 8. To sum up, now Peter, typical preacher, says to sum up, another version says finally, and then he goes on for two and a half more chapters. Typical preacher, Right? Finally, sum it all up. Let's go on for two and a half more chapters. Sum it up. Let all be 
harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil, insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you call for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For let him who means to love life and see good days, see the blessing, love life and see good days, refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. So there's a list there, a laundry list of Christ-like spirit. And if we're going to walk in God's blessing, then we need to have these these ingredients of, of his Christ-like spirit. And what's a Christ-like spirit? First of all, it says, if you're walking in a Christ-like spirit, you're living in harmony, peace. Uh, it could also be translated like-mindedness. And what it means there is you're not in constant conflict, especially with brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. And we're told that Jesus was the prince or is the prince of peace. And he said, I bring my peace to this world. And what we're supposed to be, first of all, if we're going to maintain a Christ-like spirit, it's one of the fruits of the spirit, actually, is peace. People of like-mindedness. Now, what does that mean, like-mindedness? It means that you have a spirit where you want to dwell in unity with other Christians. Now, that doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean you're, you're not going to have some differences with other Christians. You can, you can actually agree to disagree in some areas. we got people here in the church that are not totally on the same page with me, but they still choose to fellowship here, and we just have some disagreements of, of some doctrines and things like that, and that's okay. Let's still live in harmony. You know, in, on our wall there in the cafe, as you walk out the doors of the cafe, uh, somebody at Men's Breakfast actually put it above the door. It says, how good and pleasant it is. When brethren dwell together in what? In unity. Jesus prayed for the church in the future church, John 17. Three times in his prayer in John 17 for the church, he said, Father, let them live in unity. Let them be one as you and I are one. And so the first thing, if we're going to have a Christ-like spirit, is we're going to go along with what Christ's prayer for us is we're going to live in unity with one another. We're going to have this spirit of unity. Philippians talks about this too. It says, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation or love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same, look at that, same what? Same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Satan's goal for every church is to bring disunity and division because a divided church that has disunity is a paralyzed church that's stuck and won't do anything significant for the kingdom of God. But when a church is united, brothers and sisters are dwelling together in unity, we get some stuff done for the kingdom. Amen? So the first part of the spirit that we're supposed to have is a spirit of harmony and unity. And also it says we're supposed to be sympathetic. The word there is sympathetic is, is, is a fellow feeling for one another. It's the ability to, when people are hurting, we, don't, we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we weep with those who weep. And we have this ability to feel, have a fellow feeling for people that are hurting. And we feel for them because we love them. Sympathetic. And then it also says brotherly. 
Actually, the word there is filio in the Greek. It's a brotherly love. It's a family affection for one another. It's a fond affection. In church, if we're going to have a Christ-like spirit towards one another, we need to realize we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the same family. We might not always agree. We might not always even like each other, but we're going to love each other because we're family, right? And family loves one another. And family always sticks by one another's sides, and family is loyal in their love for one another. That's a brotherly love. Actually, that's the word filio. We get the word uh, Philadelphia from, which is supposed to be the city of brotherly love. And that's the kind of love we're supposed to have for one another. Remember one time Jesus was interrupted in his teaching, and his mom was outside. And his mom said, hey, your brothers and sisters are here. We want to see you. And Jesus responded to that and said, hey, these that do the will of God, that's my, that's my sister and brother and mom and dad. Because he was saying, a part of those that do the will of God and walk with God, those are family. And we're, we're supposed to have that spirit towards one another that we're brotherly, filio. And we're kind-hearted. What does that mean? Christ-like spirit is tender-hearted. The word kind-hearted could also be translated tender-hearted. And what it means is we don't get cold, callous, cynical hearts like the rest of the world. We keep our hearts tender. That's a Christ-like spirit. Christ was amazing on that. He could be beaten. He could be spit on. He could be mocked. His heart maintained a soft, tender heart towards even the people that were killing him. He said, Father... Forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. He kept a soft heart. Tender heart is a Christ-like spirit. And that's a challenge in this world today, isn't it? So many cynical people. So many cold-hearted people. So many people that just want to get you to be cold and cynical and hard-hearted too. How do you maintain a soft heart? Stay in the presence of Jesus. Keep praying. Keep being in his word. Keep being a worshiper. Keep your, keep your heart tender-hearted. That's the key. It's the presence of Christ will keep us soft-hearted. And then it says, after uh, kind-hearted or tender-hearted, humble in spirit. The word humble there, interesting word. It's, it's a word that means, it doesn't mean that you think mean about yourself. The word, according to Philippians 2 again, is this. Humble spirit is this. You think more about others than your own self. You be, you're not self-centered you're other-centered. You do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but regarding one another's, you regard them as more important than yourself, and you make their interests more important than your interests. That's humble in spirit. Now listen, it doesn't mean you, you think yourself, you know, bad self-esteem, that you're just beating yourself up all the time. That's not humble in spirit. Humble in spirit is, Andrew Murray put it well, he said, a humble spirit is a spirit that isn't thinking mean of himself, he just isn't thinking of himself at all because you're thinking of others first. And again, it wasn't that the spirit of Christ. I was just reading my quiet time this morning after Jesus was uh, given word about his cousin, John the Baptist, having his head cut off by Herod. And Jesus said to the disciples, let's go on the Sea of Galilee. Let's get away. Let's get some time away. And as he got some, t- he was purposing to go across the Sea of Galilee to a more deserted area, and the people were so intent on being ministered to by Jesus, they, they went around the Sea of Galilee and met him on the other side when the boat got there. And Jesus, instead of being, leave me alone, what he did is he fed thousands and ministered to the thousands there because he was more concerned about others than he, even his own self, even in the midst of mourning and loss of his cousin John the Baptist. Great example of being humble in spirit. 
And then it says also, verse 9, a Christ-like spirit is not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but a blessing instead, for you call for this very purpose that you might, here it is again, inherit a blessing. Now, I read that verse about a Christ-like spirit, and I say, Pastor John's not there yet. I'm still working on this one. I mean, when someone insults me, my competitive nature, and I have a competitive nature, when someone insults me, I want to one-up them. If someone, you know, just attacks me, I want to attack back. Don't look at me like that, because you do too. That's the human spirit. The human spirit in our flesh is if someone insults us, we want to give them back even worse insult. If someone attacks us, we want to attack them back. That's the human spirit. Also, human spirit is retaliatory, but you know what the satanic spirit is? Satanic spirit is you don't just want to give insult for insult. A satanic spirit is you return evil for good. Someone who's got demons in them, even if you help them and you do good towards them, they'll give you evil back for the good. But you know what a Christ-like spirit is? Christ-like spirit is just the opposite. A Christ-like spirit is you overcome evil with good. And that's why Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Again, Pastor John's still working on this one. I, I resonate with Raul Reese, who's one of our Calvary Chapel pastors, who's a fourth-degree black belt in, in Kung Fu, one of the toughest guys you'll ever meet. And I heard him teaching on this one time about having a Christ-like spirit, about turning the other cheek, and he said, here's how I figure it. He goes, he's got this Mexican accent, too, he goes, or Hispanic accent, he goes, here's how I figure it. Because you hit me once, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. You hit me again, that's fine. But then I'm all out of cheeks. That's the human spirit, isn't it? You, you hit me, I'm, I'll, that's right, I'll turn the other cheek, but then I'm all out of cheeks. But that's not the Christ-like spirit. Christ-like spirit is be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And a Christ-like spirit is, again, a spirit that maintains humility and love and grace and forgiveness, overcoming evil with good. No matter what's thrown at that spirit, it's going to maintain a Christ-like spirit. And that's part of living in God's blessing. I tell you what, you want to have more blessing on your marriage. You want to have more blessing on your parenting. You want to have more blessing at work. You want to have more blessing in your, in your relationships. The first key is maintaining a Christ-like spirit. Maintaining a spirit that says, I'm going to overcome any evil in my relationships with good. I'm going to love back for hate. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to return blessing for insult. And I'm going to maintain a Christ-like spirit. And then it says at the end of the verse, the verses there for Christ-like spirit, for let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his, to his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. And, and, and what it's saying there is a part of maintaining a Christ-like spirit, too, is being careful with the words that you say. What do we learn in James? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And you will not have blessing in your relationships, your marriage, and whatever else if you don't learn to keep your mouth shut. And I'm still learning that, too, because I make a living talking and I'm still learning this thing of learning to keep my mouth shut. And Heidi's helping me with that sometimes. And we'll be talking, and I'll be interrupting. She says, you're not listening again. And I was like, shut up, John. Keep your mouth shut. 
Put a lid on it. And as I do that, my relationships are more blessed because I'm being more quick to hear, slow to speak. I'm still learning that. These are things that I'm learning too about maintaining a Christ-like spirit. So the first thing, it's Christ-like spirit is a spirit that again, overcomes evil with good, overcomes anger with love, overcomes hate with blessing, overcomes insults with returning those insults for blessing. Now, let's look at the second part of living in the blessing. This is a very important verse. Go back to our scripture. It says this. Verse nine, we left off, it said, for you call for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking God. Verse 11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Here it is again. Let him seek peace, pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are upon who? The righteous, blessing on the righteous, because the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is there to harm if you prove zealous for what is good? Interesting. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled. But here it is, verse 15, second part of living in the blessing. But sanctify what? Sanctify what? Christ as Lord, where? In your hearts. That's the second key to living under the blessing. Living a life that's an ingredient for living a blessed life is set apart Christ as Lord in your where? Your heart. Now, I want to give you a diagram. This diagram is actually from Campus Crusade, and it's a good visual of what it means to set apart Christ as, 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 as Lord in your hearts. There's two kinds of life we could live. This is actually all the way back to the four spiritual laws that Campus Crusade has been using for the last 50 years. The first kind of life we can live is a self-directed life. We're self uh, in the self-directed life. That, that throne represents your heart. It's on the throne of your heart. And Christ is where when you're living a self-directed life? It's outside of your very heart. And it's not on the throne of your heart. And all, where are all the interests? The interests are directed by self, resulting in discord and frustration. But when you set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, look at the second diagram. That's the Christ-directed life. We're self when Christ is set apart as Lord in your heart. Christ is on the throne of your heart. Self is yielded to what? It's off the throne of your heart. You're not living a self-centered life anymore. You're living a Christ-centered life. Christ is on the throne of your heart. And what about the interests? The interests are all directed by Christ, resulting in harmony with God's plan. And I've been both. I've lived a life where it's just about John Hoppy. The first 17 years of my life before I met Christ, it was about me, me, and me. And I was on a path for self-destruction. And I was on a path that was just cursed. And I knew I was under God's judgment. I could sense it. And then I remember giving my life to Christ and learning to submit to his will instead of just do my will. Learning to live for him instead of just me. And then sensing again that blessing and favor upon my life and seeing it on my life as I allowed him to lead. As I allowed him to direct my life. And I trusted in him, not me, him with all my heart. And I learned to not lean on my own understanding, but I learned to acknowledge him in all my ways. 
and he set my life on the right path. He made my path straight. And you know what? Every day we've got to choose this because our sinful nature in our flesh wants to do it my way. There's a reason why Frank Sinatra's song for decades was the best uh, top of the list song. I did it, what? My way. There's a reason why people in this world say, hey, I'm going uh, to be the captain of my own ship. I'm going to do it my way. This is my life. Well, good luck with that. Because when you do it your way, your life's going to be a mess. But when you do it God's way, your life is blessed. And not only is your life blessed, but your family's blessed. You know, there's a ripple effect of living a life where you set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. And what it does is it gets passed down to the next generation. And then it gets passed down to the generation after that. Godliness gets passed down. A Christ-centered life gets passed down to the kids, to the grandkids, and to the future generations. And I don't know about you, but Pop Pop is starting to not only have kids that are married, but we're starting to have grandkids. And I have a vested interest in this thing of living a Christ-directed life because I know my kids and my grandkids are going to very likely be either left a legacy of a Christ-centered life by me or a self-centered life. And I want them to live under the blessing of a Christ-centered life. My, my granddaughter, my first grandkid, is just, she, her, her parents, John G. and, and Kristen, they're, they're, they're walking with God. Actually, Kristen is actually serving in their church and, on staff now in ministry. And it's fun to see. They're already teaching little Adele, my granddaughter, to live a Christ-centered life. When she comes and they visit and stuff, she oftentimes prays before our meals. And she's, she's wonderful. I'll show you. This is Grandpa Pop Pop right here. I've got to show you a couple pictures. This is, this is Adele right here. Look at this. Throw, that's John G. Actually, go back. Go back for the first one. You, gotta, you, can't, you can't go fly through that like Carlton. Go back to, there you go. She, they're already teaching her how to golf. Look at that. They got a golf ball and a tee, and she's actually another picture. She was directing John G. You got to put it this way, Dad. And then another picture. She's a true hoppy, a water rat, right there. That's one of John G.'s friends, right there. And then another picture. That's her at the beach. And you know what? I want to teach her as she grows older not only to be a good golfer, I want to teach her to be a Christ centered woman of God. But you know what the key is that, to that? I not only got to speak it into her life, I got to live it before her life. Because a witness for Christ is not only speaking, he's living. He is living it so that, because Christianity with the next generation is more often caught than taught. And so let's do that for the next generation, amen? Hey, we're getting it here in this church, like I said, VBS and the student uh, retreat we just had is witnessing to me about the next generation that we have in this church. They're, get, they're getting serious about setting up our Christ in their heart as Lord, but we could help that by living it for them also. Let's do that for the next generation. Set apart Christ as Lord in your life if you want to live a blessed life. Sanctify it, actually says, Christ is Lord in your hearts. Now notice also verse 15. After you set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with what? Gentleness and, another version says, respect or reverence. 
So third ingredient to live in a blessed life. First ingredient, Christ-like spirit. Second ingredient, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Live a Christ-directed, Christ-centered life, and it will be a blessed life. Third ingredient, very important, be a witness for Jesus Christ. And Jesus made it very clear. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works, and they too may glorify your Father in heaven. And we're told how to be a witness here. The first part of being a witness, by the way, is going back to our last point. You want to be a witness for Christ, make sure Christ is Lord of your heart. Make sure you're living a Christ-centered life. That's the first part of your witness. But the second part of your witness is making sure that you can give a defense for the hope that is within you. The word there, defense, is an interesting word. It's apologia. It's a word from which we get apologetics. And what is apologetics? Apologetics is being able to give a defense, a defense in a reasoned way to justify your religious doctrine. That's the Webster's definition of apologia, of apologetics. It's being able to give a defense in a reasoned way to justify your religious doctrine. And if you want to be a good witness for Jesus, you got to know what you believe. you got to be able to tell people the reason for the hope that's within you, and you got to be able to defend it. And how do you do that? By being people of the Word. Why do we do so many Bible studies around here at Calvary Chapel? Why do we have Sunday morning Bible studies? Why do we have Saturday morning Bible studies? Why do we have Wednesday night Bible studies? Why do we have U-Turn for Christ Bible studies every day of the week? Why do we do so many Bible studies here at Calvary Chapel? Because we want you to be men or women of the Word that when people ask you, you're ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you. You know what you believe. And the only way you can be, know what you believe is by being like the Bereans who were noble-minded, Acts 17, 11. They searched the scriptures daily with great eagerness to see if what Paul was saying was even true. There were men and women of the word in Berea, and because of that, they were able to be witnesses in Berea because they knew the hope that was in with them, within them, and they were able to defend it because they knew the word of God. People, we've got to be people of the word. People of the word, it's so important. We've got to be people, as we learned in 1 Peter chapter 2, that said we hunger and thirst for the pure milk of the word. Jesus said we're to be people that hunger and thirst for righteousness so we can be satisfied. We need to be people that are in the word of God, not only in church, not only in Bible studies, but our own personal study of God's word. Very important. Because if we're going to be a witness for Jesus Christ, we've got to be able to defend what we believe, and we've got to know with confidence and assurance this is what the Word of God says. Can I get an amen on that? As long as there's bald preachers up here or the other bald preachers up here, we're going to be preaching you the Word. In season or out of season, whether it's hip or not, we're going to be preaching the, preaching the Word. And as long as you get yourself in church and then get yourself in the Word during the week, you're going to be ready to give a, a, a defense for what you believe, for the hope that is within you. But notice also, a part of our witness also, so we witness with gentleness, and respect. That's important. You know why? Because walls will go up if you're just being a Bible beater. If you're being rude, being arrogant, you're being non-gentle and just bam, 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 bam with your Bible with people, it ain't going to work. It didn't work with me. 
Before I got saved, when people started banging me with their Bibles, I said, see you later, alligator. I'm out of here. But when someone came into my life and started witnessing to me with a clear confidence and assurance of the hope that was within him, and then he did it even with gentleness and even respected me in that witness, it proved some results in my life. There was fruit born from that. So, hey, if you want to be a good witness for Jesus, first of all, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Then be people of the word that know what you believe, and you're ready to give a defense for the hope that is within you. But then also, respect people. You want people to respect your message? Respect them. Remember when I was in college at the University of Illinois, we had, oh boy, it was, we had all these different wonderful campus ministries, but then we'd have these itinerant preachers come by, and they'd come to the quad every, every fall, as the school year was starting, they were somewhere were from Alabama or something, and they came, and it was Sister Susie and, and Brother Jet. They put up their big speakers on our quad, and as, as college students would be going to class, they'd be screaming at them. And not only would they be screaming at them, they would be using, I'd, I'd say, even questionable words in attacking these college students. They would be calling the sorority girls, I won't even tell you what they call the sorority girls, they'd be calling them the fraternity guys, whoremongers, and all this other stuff. And we would spend months, after they were just there for a week every year, but we'd spend months after they left repairing the damage. Because they didn't witness with gentleness and respect. So when we're witnessing to people out there in the world, we want blessing our witnesses, witnessing, know what we believe, set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, but let's do it with gentleness and what? Respect. Amen? Amen. And that's be people of the word. Again, bragging about our teenagers right now, but it was so fun for me to see our teenagers every day when they were out there for the last three days in this uh, retreat, being in the Word of God, having their Bibles out. And after lunch each day, they had devotions. And then after, after dinner each day, they had worship in the Word every, every night for the last three nights. And it was fun to see our teenagers be people here at Calvary Chapel, people of the Word. And I know that as our teenagers get more and more into the Word, they're going to be a witness in their high schools. They're going to be a witness with other teenagers. And we're going to see them make differences in this world because of their witness, because they're in the Word. The Word of God is the imperishable seed that helps us help others to be born again. And that's a part of our witness. Now let's keep going here. After that, it says, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. And then it also says that we're to, we're to, again, after set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, we're to make a defense for everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Now verse 16, and keep a good what? Last key to living a blessed life. Keep a good conscience. So that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. In other words, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing the right thing and not the wrong thing. If you're suffering for doing the wrong thing, you deserve it. If you suffer for doing the right thing, you're being a witness again for Jesus Christ. And again, the writer of this, Peter, was not an armchair expert in suffering for doing the right thing. Peter's the one in the book of Acts, after he was told to quit preaching the gospel, and he said, we must obey God rather than men. Then they were flogged on the way out of that persecution, whipped on the backs. And it said that Peter and the other apostles, they, they went away rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Peter was the one 
that at the end of his life in Rome, after being imprisoned in Rome, he was crucified on that hill and went to the top of the hill. And as he was about to be crucified, he said, hey, I'm not worthy to die the same death as my Savior, Jesus Christ. And he asked to be crucified upside down. Wonderful, the rock. But he's saying here, if you're going to suffer, suffer for doing the right thing. And the last thing he tells us about living a blessed life, he says, and keep, keep a good conscience. Now question, what is a good conscience? What is a conscience? Well, a conscience is this. It's a part of being created in God's image. And every single human being has a conscience. Did you know that? Has a moral conscience. Now, some human beings, because they've rejected God and they've rejected the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, their conscience, according to the Bible, is seared, it's calloused, it's hardened, and they, they have this, this moral conscience that's not working. But as Christians, we're supposed to keep a good conscience. What, so what is a conscience? A conscience is that, is that moral compass that we're all given, created in God's image, that keeps us on track morally. And what happens is if you go against your good conscience and do the wrong thing, that conscience produces guilt, it produces shame, it even produces sorrow. But here's the good news with that. That godly sorrow and shame and guilt leads, as we respond to it in the right way, leads to repentance. It leads to going, you turn for Christ, back in the right direction. And, and that's the last thing. If we want to live a blessed life, we got to keep a good conscience. we got to keep a conscience that when we do the wrong thing, we feel that shame and that guilt and even that sorrow. We don't go into a spiral of sin. What we do is we keep a short account with God. And we practice 1 John 1.9 that says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, we'll forgive our sins, and then he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And that's the last key to living a blessed life is we keep short accounts with God. And what happens is when you do the wrong thing, we feel that shame and the guilt and the sorrow. We say, okay, God is a God of grace. A righteous man may fall seven times, but he rises again. And you get back on track. And you're like David, and you say, oh, God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Then you get back, you're cleansed, you get back on track seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Last 40 years of walking with the Lord, I tell you what, one of the things that's helped me stay on track is a part of my prayers, I, I pray through Acts every day, my quiet times, adoration, the Acts acrostic, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. And a part of my daily prayers every day is that second thing, after I adore God, I'm gonna confess my sins. And I'm gonna get straight with God. And I'm going to tell them all the dumb things I've done in the last 24 hours since my last quiet time. And I'm going to get it right. And I'm going to let them cleanse me because I know my God's a God of grace. He knows I'm just dust. He knows my frame. He knows I'm going to make mistakes. And he's going to help me if I keep a good conscience and short accounts and get things right and repent quickly. My, my pastor in college or the campus church I was a part of um, made a statement I'll never forget. This is 35 years ago, one of his Bible studies. said this, spiritual maturity is not evidenced on whether or not you sin. Spiritual maturity is evidence on how quick you repent. Let's put that up on that. That was so good. Let's put it up. I'm going to say it again. That was so good. You ready? Spiritual maturity 
is not evidence on whether or not you sin. It's evidenced on how quick you repent. See that? God knows you're going to make mistakes. God knows you're going to do dumb things. God knows Pastor John still struggles with the flesh, the world, and the devil. But he also knows that when I'm quick to repent, he's going to get me back on track. He's going to get me back in that flow of blessing of living a life of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And church, I want that for all of us. I want every single person in this room to have a life that's living under the favor of God. A life where you're living a spirit-filled life because you're living in the spirit of Christ. And you're maintaining a Christ-like spirit. A life where, secondly, you're, you're allowing Christ to be on the throne. You're setting apart Christ as Lord in your heart. You're sanctifying him as Lord. Your life isn't about me, me, me anymore. It's about Jesus and him is on the throne of your heart. That's a blessed life. I want every single person in this room to enjoy being a good witness for Jesus. Where you're setting apart Christ the Lord in your heart, but you're also, you're a person of the word that knows the word of God well enough that you can make a defense for the hope that is within, within you with gentleness and respect. I want every single one of us, lastly, too, to be people of good consciences. Yeah, we're going to make mistakes, but we're going to be quick. And when that conscience produces guilt or shame or remorse, we're going to be quick to get back in the presence of God and ask for his forgiveness and get back on track because a righteous man, again, falls seven times, but he rises again. Amen?